settle down, to be accustomed to the same spiritual furniture, we might say, and to be accustomed to uh, the regular pattern of how we do things. But there comes a time in each one of our lives where we, if we are honest about it, and we really talk to the Lord about it, that there is that need and that sense that we need to move ahead into uh, deeper things. You know, I once heard of a preacher by the name of Percy Crawford. He was a big man, I guess, around uh, the country, and uh, in particular the Philadelphia area in our region of the country back in the 30s and 40s. Maybe some people here, older uh, saints, might know that name. But uh, he was a great youth worker. And I remember talking to an elder from an assembly up in the Philadelphia area, and I said, well, Harry, how did you come to know the Lord Jesus? And he said, through the preaching of the word, through Percy Crawford, a big name, well-known up in our area, as I said. And I said, how would that take place? And he says, we just preached on one verse. And the verse was, uh, launch out into the deep. And that was the verse he took. So that, was, that was a text that he took from the Gospels. And basically, it was a challenge verse. But uh, somehow, some way, he turned it around into a gospel message. And uh, this person came to know the Lord Jesus. But I always often thought of that text, launch out into the deep. In other words, uh, the Lord Jesus is always calling us to live the life of faith and go from the mundane or what we want to call the humdrum or something like that to deepen our walk with him. And uh, the way that's going to take place is through the reading of the word of God and obedience to the word of God. And uh, in Joshua chapter 1, we have a pattern given to us, I believe, uh, in the history of the nation of Israel that reminds us of our responsibility to enter into our inheritance and again, that's uh, dealing with the nation of Israel as they went into the land of Canaan. So to begin with, why don't we just read the opening verses of this uh, first chapter of Joshua, beginning at verse 1, and we'll read down to verse 9. Beginning at verse 1, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, or minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. In every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, and all the land of the Hittites, and to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage, for to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now we'll continue reading in this chapter a little further along as well. But uh, to begin with here, we just see the very opening stages of Israel's entrance or pre preparation, I should say, into the land of promise. It was God who said to the nation of Israel in Exodus chapter 3, verse 8, I'm going to take you to a land flowing with milk and honey. And so God meant that. He said it. He meant it. Whenever God says anything in his word, he means it. And he's going to fulfill his word. And the time had now come for the nation of Israel to come to the land of Canaan, to the banks of the Jordan River, 
and the words of God were being about ready to be fulfilled. And they were going to go into the land of Canaan. Now, they had been in the wilderness, as we know, 40 years. And I'd love to ask this question. Uh, how long did the uh, children of Israel wander in the wilderness? How long did they wander in the wilderness? And, of course, the uh, immediate response most of us, all of us have, for me, for many, many years, was 40 years they wandered in the wilderness. But that really is not the answer. Do you know the answer is really 38 years? 38 years they wandered in the wilderness. Um, the uh, Lord had intended for the nation of Israel to go through the wilderness as a testing exercise, as a means to humble them and to see what was in their heart. It tells us that in Deuteronomy chapter 6. So his intention was for them to be uh, in the wilderness to be tested. And that period of time was for two years. They got to the land of Kadesh Barnea, or that area of Kadesh Barnea, and that's when they were to go into the land of promise. I think you know the account. It was Joshua and Caleb who came back with a good report. The other 10 spies of all the 12 spies there came back with a negative report. And they said the land is uh, filled with giants and we're like grasshoppers in their sight. And they were looking at themselves and their abilities and they were leaving God out of the equation. A lot like what we do when we are faced with some circumstances and difficulties in our experience as well. We say that we're believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. We trust him by faith. We do all these things. We know the word of God uh, to an extent. And yet when it comes to the practical day-to-day -day experience, there's a lot of times that we leave God out of the picture. And in some ways that can make what some have called practical atheists of ourselves. In other words, we know the word, but we're leaving God out of the picture. And that's exactly what those 10 spies did, but not Joshua and not Caleb. They went in and for a period of 40 days, they surveyed the land. They said, let us go and see if this is a land flowing with milk and honey. So it was really a denial, not Joshua and Caleb, the other ones. It was a denial of what God had said. I'm going to bring you to the land flowing with milk and honey. That was God's plan. And yet they doubted that. And because they were in there for 40 days in that attitude of doubt, when they came back, God judged them for that attitude of doubt. And so because they had already traveled two years in the wilderness by God's design, God said, okay, for 38 years. Now, you can back this up with chapter and verse in Numbers chapter 14. And it says plainly there, 38 years. So they wandered in the wilderness for 38 years. They sojourned, they walked, whatever way you want to call it, for 40 years, but they actually wandered for 38 years. And the picture for that was given to us, is given to us here in the scriptures is this, that just like the children of Israel were led by God to test them, but they ended up wandering because they didn't avail themselves of the promises of God, so too the Christian can fall into that same pattern of starting out very well, like the Galatians, doing very well, and yet, because of circumstances, difficulties, you end up wandering and going around in your experience with the Lord and never really entering into the full appreciation and application of spiritual truth. A little bit, but not fully. God wants us to enter into the land. And so the nation of Israel is about ready to enter into the land. God was going to bring them to this point where they're going to go into the, into the land. Now, the old generation had already passed away. But now the new generation under Joshua's leadership was going to take them into the land. He was going to take them into the land. And so we see a wonderful pattern here. And so we can look at the whole book of Joshua and lay it out as uh, a typical or parallel for the Christian life. When we move away from wandering in our walk with the Lord and our, our witness for him and all those things, the negative things like Israel experienced in the wilderness, 
to a point where we're really pressing on in the things of Christ and really applying these principles in our walk with him. And so that's what we have before us. And so you can look at chapter 1 and say these are the prerequisites for entering into our uh, inheritance. Chapters 2 and 3 and 4, we talk about various principles, the pathway, what's involved in that, going through the Jordan River, identifying with Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection, some wonderful ministry in those uh, chapters. And, of course, chapter 5 and chapter 6, uh, the entrance into the land of uh, Canaan and, and uh, doing battle at the, battle at the uh, city of Jericho, a picture there of moving ahead to things of Christ. So wonderful parallels that we have in the Christian experience. You know, I, uh, when I was a Christian, I did not go, grow up in a Christian home. And uh, when I was a new Christian, I was always trying to get everything I can to be a witness for the Lord. And uh, I don't want to overstate that, but uh, I wanted to let people know about my faith. I remember somebody giving me a bumper sticker one time, and the bumper sticker said this, the Christian's retirement benefits are out of this world. Okay, that was my bumper sticker that I had. I thought that was a pretty good witness right there. And, uh, and indeed, the Christians' retirement benefits are out of this world. But there are a lot of benefits that are available to us right now. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, it says that we've obtained, past tense, obtained an inheritance. We're told in Colossians chapter 1, verse 12, that we've been made fit to be partakers of the saints and the inheritance, inheritance of saints in light. So we have an inheritance. When Paul called the Ephesian elders together in Acts chapter 20, verse 32, he says, I commend you to the word of, to God and the word of his grace, which is able to give you an inheritance, to build you up and give you an inheritance. So the idea of a Christian having an inheritance is very clear in the scriptures. And First uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 4 says, we have an inheritance reserved for us in heaven. Okay, so heaven is not just that inheritance. There are things that are reserved for us in heaven. So there's more to just heaven being an inheritance. So for the Christian, there is an inheritance for us in heaven. The retirement benefits are out of this world. But on the other hand, because we've obtained it, past tense, that means we have it now. So the question is, have we really entered into all that Christ has for us now? Are we really applying ourselves? Are we really appreciating all that God has for us in Christ. And that's the pattern, I think, that we have before us here in Joshua chapter 1. So why don't we take a look at some of these principles and uh, just as a simple way, a practical way, to remind ourselves to sort of reach higher. You know, we just had a conference uh, in New Jersey. Some of you here were at that conference. And uh, the idea is to reach higher, to press forward in the things of Christ, like Paul said in Philippians chapter 3. Well, look with me at verse 1. It says, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Moses, of course, represented the law, didn't he? We're told in John chapter 1 that the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And so Moses was a perfect picture of the law. Uh, God delivered the law through the ministry of angels, we're told in the book of Galatians, but also through Moses. And Moses was the one that brought that, those tablets down from Sinai. It's very fitting here that we see when we talk about our inheritance that there's number one point, first point is this. There is a law, or a land I should say, a land to possess. God has indeed given us a land to possess. 
just like he gave physical boundaries to the nation of Israel. Look with me at verses uh, 3 and 4. Every place the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. And God established very clear physical boundaries for the nation of Israel. These have yet to be realized. They will be realized in a future day. God has a literal thousand-year kingdom in mind for the Lord Jesus to reign over. It's not a spiritual thing. He has that plan. There's a lot of groups in Christendom who would like to think that this is not really true. There are physical uh, boundaries that will be realized. Now, Solomon's day, King Solomon, he realized or, or controlled a large portion of these borders, but not all of it. That won't come into play until the Lord Jesus rules and reigns as King of Kings, Lord of Lords. So there was a land for the nation of Israel physically to possess. But there is a spiritual land of blessings for Christians to possess. Now we have heaven waiting for us and we know the Lord Jesus. But there's also spiritual blessings. Uh, we have the Holy Spirit who resides in us and abides with us uh, because he dwells in us permanently. Never to leave us. We're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Ephesians 1 talks about that. We're accepted in a beloved one. Uh, we are adopted. Uh, we have the sealing of the Holy Spirit. All these wonderful blessings, they're ours. The question is, does it rule our lives? Does that, does that principle, does that truth guide our experience on a day-to-day -day, uh, basis? And that's the question. We have the companionship of Christ. We have the sense that Christ is near. But is that really dominating our lives uh, we have the word of God at our disposal are we really reading the word of God and acting on it what's it say in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them who diligently seek him so God honors faith so do we step out in faith uh, or are we just doing it every now and then sometimes we really don't move do we until there is some difficulty in our lives we really don't read the scriptures until we have some sort of trial going through our experience. Then we start to get serious about the things of the Lord, don't we? And, you know, I can't help but think of the episode on, in Matthew chapter 14 when the Lord was uh, coming to the disciples on the Sea of Galilee. And there were the disciples rowing hard to try to bring the boat through the midst of the sea. It was in the middle of the night. Uh, it was in the midst of the sea. There's all sorts of adverse circumstances going against them. Wind was buffeting the boat. The waves were hitting the boat. And they were getting nowhere. In a lot of ways, that's how it is with us. And we really don't move ahead until we acknowledge the Lord in those situations. And that's exactly what happened with those uh, disciples. The Lord Jesus came out and uh, showed himself to them. Of course, bid Peter to come on out in the boat from the boat. And he did walk in a supernatural way in the midst of that trial. That's a great lesson right there for all of us that in the midst of a trial, oftentimes we call upon the Lord. That's what will happen. He'll challenge us. To walk in a supernatural way and we will we take him at his word but sometimes we don't take him at his word and he uses trials to accomplish that in our experience so that's why james says in james chapter one my friends count it all joy when you fall into various trials knowing this that the trial of your faith works patience but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and entire lacking nothing so he uses trials even though we don't like trials we want to get out of them God uses those trials to get us to a, a, a higher level 
of walk with him. So just like the nation of Israel had a land, a physical land to possess, we have a spiritual land to, to possess as well. Ephesians 1.3 says it very plainly. He says, the word of God tells us, Paul writing to the Ephesians says, uh, blessed be the God and Father who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. So the picture is there are spiritual blessings that God has given to us. Are we appreciating them and applying them in our walk? And to the extent that we do that is the extent by which we're entering into the spiritual land that God has available for us to move on into an experience with the Lord that's far deeper than our current walk with him right now. That's the idea behind it. And that's the principle I think that we see here. So the very first thing is this, that there is indeed a land to possess. And for Joshua and the children of Israel, there is a land to possess. And God was reminding them of that. Ahead of you, he was basically saying, is all this land. And it's available everywhere you put your foot down will be the place that you will have control over. For the Christian, for you and for me who know the Lord, now in 2013, as we move ahead and push the border out of our experience and seriousness with the things of the Lord, God says, I'll be there and I'll help you to push ahead into further borders with him. So that's the pattern that we see laid out right here, I think, in Joshua chapter 1. So the very first principle that we see, the prerequisite for entering into our inheritance is this, that there is indeed a land to possess, understanding there is a land to possess. The second thing that we see is a law to obey. Now look with me at verse uh, 6. We have the promise of God, verse 5, the very end of verse 5, I will not leave you nor forsake you. But verse 6, we read this, be strong and of good courage, for to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. Another prerequisite requirement to enter this land that Joshua was given by God and for the children of Israel as well is this. You need obedience to the word of God. Obedience to the word of God. Now we're not preaching the health, wealth, gospel. You know, obey the Lord and you can boast and brag that you have five diamond rings, one for each finger. I heard that on TV. Literally, I heard that. Okay? A diamond for every finger. Diamond ring for every finger. We're not proposing that at all. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is this, is that we will not move ahead unless we obey God's word and we read it and obey it. And we may be familiar with it. Okay, now the big challenge is to be familiar with it, right? Hosea chapter four, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, right? We make wrong decisions because we don't have the knowledge of the word. But we can also have the knowledge of the word and not apply the word of God, right? I mean, it's, very, it's a very simple principle. And God says that if we want to really move ahead into deeper things with Christ, it requires obedience to him. And so Paul said to Timothy, you know, obey them wholly that your prospering may be and profiting might be seen by all. We're not talking about financial prosperity. We're talking about spiritual prosperity. Now, what's it say in uh, Psalm 24, a great verse? Who shall ascend unto the hill of the Lord and who shall stand 
in his holy place. He that hath clean hands and a pure heart. Who's not lifted up his soul to vanity nor sworn deceitfully. He shall receive righteousness from the God of his salvation. The idea is the blessing of the Lord. God wants to use you and me in a special way in the sphere of ministry he has given to you. If you look clearly at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, God has given every single Christian a sphere of ministry. It may not be public platform. It might be in a private area. It might be in a private sphere of ministry where people may not see you. But God has given every single person here a sphere of ministry. And uh, God wants to bless us. He wants to move us along. He wants us to sense that uh, his presence in our lives every moment. And he wants to give us the sense of that power. But that's not going to happen unless we have clean hands, right, and a pure heart. So there's a verse I learned before I was going off to school. I remember somebody gave me a concordance. I had this big book called Strong's Analytical Concordance. I was a new Christian. I had no idea what this book was. They handed me as a gift. And I was like, well, thanks a lot. But I didn't even know what it, what it was. I didn't know how to use it. So I was trying to figure out how to use it. And I remember looking up a verse and saying about uh, hands, clean hands, that type of thing. And so I found Job chapter 17, verse 9. Uh, the idea is the person who has clean hands, it says, he that has clean hands will grow stronger and stronger. And I remember as a new Christian, I'm saying, that must mean this, that if I just obey the Lord, God's going to give me a greater desire to obey him. And if I obey him there, he's going to give me a greater desire to obey him. And it's just going to keep going. And don't you know it, I, somebody gave me an autobiography of George Mueller back about that time. And I remember reading in the back of that autobiography, he had a question and answer period in some conference he was at. And somebody says, asked him the question, how do you grow in the things of the Lord? He says, all you do is you're obedient to the Lord and God will give you greater grace the next step to walk with him and obey him. So the more we do that, the stronger we feel. And then your heart just opens up and you say, Lord, I want to please you and, and you want to move ahead further in the things of Christ. It's not any mysterious principle and it's not that you have to go to college or have to do some special thing to do that. It's just simple obedience to the things of Christ. And you look at guys like D.L. Moody and other men like that. You know, D.L. Moody was a, a shoe salesman. They said from Chicago. He was the only guy who could take Jerusalem and get it down into like two syllables. He didn't know how to talk. He wasn't clear with his English. You know, he was uh, kind of murdered the king's English, as they say. He was not an educated man. And he was the Billy Graham of his day because he wasn't trusting in his skills or his credentials or anything like that. So it's available to anybody. If you want to take the Lord seriously and move ahead, it's amazing what God can do with anybody who's just fully committed to him. It doesn't require any special skills, oratory, eloquence, degree, or anything like that. It's just simple obedience to the things of Christ. And God wants to do that and move us ahead into uh, our inheritance. So the question again we ask is, are we entering into our inheritance? The application, the appreciation of those things right now while we're here. Because it's available to us. It's reserved for us in heaven. It's going to be the inheritance of every single person who knows the Lord. The question is, are we appreciating that to the, depth, to the degree that we're doing that in obedience and diligence to the Lord is the degree that we appreciate it and move ahead in the things of Christ. And so there is a law to obey. And that's a critical prerequisite. As a matter of fact, he goes on to say in the next verse, if you look with me at verse uh, 8, 
He says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Some Christians have success, but there's other Christians who have good success. There's a quality to success. Some is an outward appearance. Others are truly uh, deep in their success because they are uh, being led of the Lord in that way. So there is a good success. He says, have I not commanded you? Be strong of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Once again, the promise of God, the presence of God, the power of God, all those things are resident here in this uh, chapter to remind us God will take you as far as you are willing to go with him. If you are obedient to him, not having the altar to bail in your heart like it was in Elisha's day when he stood on Mount Carmel and challenged the people. He says, you know, he says, if the Lord be God, follow him. If Baal be God, follow him. You know what it says in the scriptures? It says, and the people answered him, not a word. They were like torn, saying, what do we do? Well, the answer should have been to follow the Lord. But they were torn in their heart. The double-minded man, James says, is unstable in all his ways. Back and forth, back and forth torn the flesh lust against the spirit the spirit against the flesh and you cannot do the things that you would because of entertaining a, a, a altar to Baal in your heart at the same time as the Lord that was the problem with the nation of Israel so you do away with that one that doesn't belong there and then God gives you the grace he gives you the desire he gives you the compulsion the power to do what he wants you to do and then the Lord can take you in a lot of places you've never even realized or dreamt. So uh, the idea is entering into our inheritance by obedience to the word of God. There is another thing that we find out here, beginning of verse 10. We didn't read this portion. We'll read it now. Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, saying, Pass through the camp and command the people, saying, Prepare provisions for yourselves, for within three days you will cross over this Jordan to go in to possess the land in which the Lord your God is giving you to possess. And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua spoke, saying, Remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God has given you rest and has given you this land. Your wives, your little ones, your livestock shall remain in the land which Moses gave you on this side of the Jordan. But you shall pass before your brethren armed, all your mighty men of valor, and help them, until the Lord has given your brethren rest as he gave you. And they also have taken possession of the land which the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and enjoy it, in which Moses, the Lord's servant, gave you on this side of the Jordan toward the sunrise. In these verses, you see another prerequisite, another principle, and that is there is a lesson to avoid, a lesson to avoid. Uh, what's going on here, anyway, with these two and a half tribes that are listed here? You know, when Moses was alive and they were coming up to the land that area these two and a half tribes said you know the area that we see here is good enough for us and they're talking it's current day Golan Heights in the nation of Israel it's on the east side of the Jordan River there was no passing through the Jordan for them they felt like this is good enough for our wives and our families and our cattle and all that's great grazing land and there's really no need in our thinking to go any further because we're satisfied right here. And Moses had to say to these two and a half tribes, he said, no, we're all one unit. We're going to go into the area, 
Moses said this. He didn't lead them. Joshua would lead them. But he said, we, you are all one unit. You have to go in and fight the battles. And if you want to come back out and settle here, that's your prerogative. That's your, that's your right to do that if you want it. But we have to go in there and fight the battles. So these two and a half tribes are being reminded, okay, uh, if you want to settle right here, that's fine with you. Those, that area was decent land, but it wasn't the full promised land. Now, the overall, the whole thing was the promised land, right? The borders went way out. There was a border, it was one mountain was a mountain, another one was a sea, another one was, a, well, the other areas right here that we have listed in these other verses, opening verses. But it wasn't the best for these people. The best was in there. Now, how do we know the best was in there? Remember those 12 spies when they went out? What did they come out with when they came out? What was it that they came out with? Grapes, right? Remember it was the first ripe grapes? I remember it took two men to bring those back. Now, if the first ripe grapes required two guys to carry it, what are the last ripe grapes like, right? And uh, actually, even today in Israel, the national symbol for the nation of Israel are two men carrying these grapes on you know, sticks on their shoulders, carrying it like this along. And the tradition says it was Joshua and Caleb. We don't know if that's true or not, but that's what the tradition says. Well, these two and a half tribes should have said, it's way better in there, in the interior of the land, than it is out here. But you know, they were satisfied right here. And it speaks to the Christian, taking the spiritual application here, of saying, what I have right now it's okay. You know, I'm satisfied pretty much with the way my life is right now and not really willing to take it a little bit further or much further and in going into the land. I mean, we're all kind of in that boat in some way, one way or another, aren't we? I mean, we all can kind of settle down and be complacent. But the Lord says, no, there's something better for you. Something bigger, something better for you. Plus, you know, there are some lessons to avoid here because if you're content with just staying status quo, there are some consequences for that. When you're in the border, you're going to feel the effects of the world a lot quicker than someone who's really committed. You know, the, the saddest Christian I think there is is the world-bordering Christian because they kind of pulled in this direction by the world, but yet they know that they have responsibilities in this way, this part of the things, and they're torn back and forth. Well, let me just show you a couple of the consequences of settling in the land, how it was for these two and a half tribes. Just turn with me for a moment to First Chronicles, First Chronicles chapter 5, all right, the book of First Chronicles. Not too far ahead, but a couple books ahead. Just First Chronicles chapter 5. Let me just show you something here. These two and a half tribes... They were believers. They were part of the nation of Israel. They had some blessings and abilities. And it's shown here in 1 Chronicles chapter 5, verse 18. It says, The sons of Reuben, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, there they are, the two and a half tribes, had 44,760 valiant men, men able to bear shield and sword, to shoot with a bow, and skillful in war who went to war. They had skills. They had abilities. 
They made war with the Hagarites, Jetur, Naphish, and Nodab, and they were helped against them, and the Hagarites were delivered into their hand. And all who were with them, for they cried out to God in battle. They had a relationship with the Lord. They cried out to God in battle. But notice this. He heeded their prayer because they put their trust in him. Everything's right. Nothing wrong there at all. Then in verse 31, they took away their livestock, 50,000 of the camels, 250,000 of their sheep, 2,000 of their donkeys, also 100,000 of their men. For many fell dead because the war was God's, and they dwelt in their place until the captivity. And the children of the half-tribe of Manasseh dwelt in the land. Their numbers increased from Bashan to Baal Hermon, that is to Sinir, and to Mount Hermon. I'm at verse 24 now, 1 Chronicles 5, 24. These were the heads of their fathers, and they're listed right here. Verse 25, and they were unfaithful to the God of their fathers, these two and a half tribes. They played the harlot after the gods of the peoples of the land whom God had destroyed before them because of their proximity to these tribe, to these enemies and the opposition. So in verse 26, the God of Israel stirred up the spirit of Pul, the king of Assyria, that is Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, and he carried the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh into captivity. He took them to Hala, Habar, and Harah, and the river of Gozan to this day. You see what happens when you live too close to the world? You are influenced by the things of this world, and your testimony can be easily nullified, and you fall victim to the influences of the world, captive to the influences of this world. And I think of verses like this every time that, you know, I'm realizing, wait a minute, I'm watching too much TV and all that's involved with that. You know, easy to get pulled in like a magnet into the attitudes and principles of the world. But you know, there's even a sober, more sobering thing. Way ahead in the scriptures and the Gospel of Mark, the Lord Jesus was going through the area of Jurassa and there was a demon-possessed man Remember that account, Mark chapter 5? The man of Gadara had this legion of demons in him. Where was it? It was the Gadarenes. Who were the Gadarenes? They were the, the following generations down through the line of the Gadites. The Gadites in Joshua chapter 1 later became known as the Gadarenes. And who were they? They were pig farmers. Remember the demons wanted to come out of the man and go into the pigs? The pigs rushed down the, the hill and drowned in the, in the water. What a lesson there. Future generations can be led to compromise because of a previous generation's compromises. You see the pattern right there? So this idea of living on the border, we're just satisfied with the status quo being like this, can not only have an effect negatively on your own walk with the Lord, but on future generations of your family. What we care about the most, the most important part to us is family. Not the car that we have or not the goods that we have in the house or anything like that. It's our family, they're people. And there's a, a negative effect that could happen as well. So there's a lesson to avoid. Finally, as we finish up here in this Joshua chapter one, we see the last thing here as a prerequisite, and that is a leader to follow, a leader to follow. Verse 16, so they answered Joshua saying, all that you command us, we will do, the people say, and wherever you send us, we will go. Well, later on, that would turn out to be a lie. Just as we heeded Moses in all things, that's a lie, so we will heed you. 
Only the Lord your God will be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your command and does not heed your words in all that you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and of good courage. There again, that phrase of being strong and of good courage is utilized. There is not only a lesson to avoid, but a leader to follow. And that leader was Joshua. Now, who was Joshua? He was Moses' assistant or minister, we're told, in the very opening verses. But there's a lot more to Joshua than we realize about his faithfulness, his integrity. It says that the man Joshua in the book of Exodus and Numbers, he was a man who departed not out of the tabernacle. He was faithful in his testimony before the Lord. He never departed out of the tabernacle, he said. He was part of those things there serving Moses. When Moses went up to Mount Sinai, it was Joshua who apparently was nearby. He didn't go all the way up with Moses. But they came down. Remember in Exodus chapter 32? It was Joshua who said, I hear the sound of shouting. You know, but it's not, the, not some sort of war going on, but there's, it's like a party going on. And that was the events that took place at the base of Mount Sinai. That tells me that Joshua wasn't part of that group down at Mount Sinai. So he walked a separated life. So he's living faithfully before the Lord, serving uh, in a life of integrity. He's separated from the scene that took place at the base of Mount Sinai. I mean, this guy was a faithful guy. He's the one that came back with a positive report along with Caleb when he went into the land. They said, we can well overcome these inhabitants. Joshua was faithful in his walk with the Lord all the way through. And in that way, Joshua is a picture of Christ, who is our leader. Joshua was the captain of the Lord of hosts as he went into the land of Con. Uh, Canaan, where they were going to make that conquest. He would lead the people into the land, and they would conquer with his help, with his leadership, and they would divide. he would divide up the land. That's exactly what the Lord Jesus has done for us. He's the captain of our salvation, Hebrews 2 tells us. And we should follow him. He's going to lead many sons to glory. So wonderful pictures of Christ. Now, not every little episode in Joshua's experience. You know, when he failed at AI, he was engaged in self-pity, so that Part is, in a, is a picture, but so many different pictures of Christ in the person of Joshua. He was leading his people. He was faithful, and he was the leader. He was their captain. And that's exactly what the Lord Jesus does. We need to follow him, right? I mean, that's the way it goes. We follow the Lord Jesus. As we do that, he leads us into our inheritance. And so the idea is obedience to the word of God, the leading following our leader, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who is the captain of our salvation, who always leads us in triumph, it says in Second Chronicles, Second uh, Corinthians. And so a reminder to us there, there's a leader to follow. Obedience to the Lord, following the Lord's command, following his leading and his guidance in our lives. Again, you know, to make it a practical thing and not make it too uh, theological or doctrinal or anything along those lines, the principle is this. Are we moving ahead in the things of Christ? Are we really serious about our walk with the Lord? And I ask myself that question. I'm up here to just explain these things to you. It doesn't mean I have it all down or anything like that. But I know what the Word of God teaches. That we need to study the Word of God. Obey the Word of God. The more we obey, and this is so critical, the more we obey the Word of God, the more desire we will have to obey the word of God. And it's amazing what God will do when we have that mindset. And so it's a matter of really cleansing things in your life that 
are not pleasing to the Lord. You do that, and you'll see an unbelievable amount of spiritual desire and energy. And I'm not making this a mystical thing or anything like that. Believe me. Believe me, I'm not. But the idea is you'll have that desire because you're pleasing the Lord. Lord, the Holy Spirit will have full access into your life and give you that desire to please the Lord. And then things will begin begin happening that you've never perhaps seen before in your walk with Him. It's all part of that entering into our inheritance. And that's what the Lord has available for us. So hopefully these words are a challenge to each one of us. Uh, and a challenge in a way that we don't leave this place as an academic exercise, but we simply are challenged to be changed and be more conformed to the image of Christ. And may that be the case, certainly, for his glory uh, in every way. Let's uh, just close in a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you again for your precious word, which is here before us to study and to meditate upon and to really uh, think through and apply to our lives. Lord, we pray that we, like the nation of Israel, might uh, be finished with wandering in our walk with you and then moving ahead. Lord, so many more lessons that could be brought out, the crossing of the Jordan, the identifying with uh, the Lord Jesus and his death, burial, and resurrection, all that was involved in that episode and that scene in this book. We pray, Lord, that we learn these lessons, valuable lessons for us to realize that there is far more than we can be doing in our walk with you. And so we pray, Lord, that you would really teach us and speak to our hearts, the privacy of our own hearts, that you might speak to the, us tonight even and remind us of these things. We give you thanks for the assembly here. Pray that you'd encourage them. Pray that, uh, Lord, you would reach uh, unsaved through their ministry here. And we pray, Father, you'd bless them and really give them a sense of your, uh, uh, your blessing in their experience. We ask these things in the name and for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.